I want to kind of remind you of uh, something you may have seen in the news. Thousands of people lined up to do what? You think of anything? To see and pay honors and respects to Queen Elizabeth, whose body is laying in waiting for her funeral tomorrow. And isn't it great to, to even though we're Americans, we don't have a king or queen, it's great to see an honorable queen like that who lived so long. Uh, and, and so for people to pay their respects to a great and honorable uh, leader and ruler, even though her powers were diminished uh, in, in Britain, uh, still a beautiful thing to see her life. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about the British monarchy. Maybe some, anyone here an expert? You know all the kings and queens going back? Probably not, right? I know what I've learned on Netflix. <laughs> Downton Abbey, Abbey, right? Anyone else know that show? There's others too, The Crown and things. Anyone watch Downton Abbey or familiar with it? It takes place at this beautiful castle. They call it Downton Abbey, um, but it's not really Downton Abbey. It's called, and I wrote this down. Say it again? High Clare. High Clare. All right. It's called High Clare Castle. Thank you. So there are some experts here, so correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think we've watched most of Downton Abbey. It's an interesting storyline, but it takes place in this beautiful castle, High Clare Castle. Uh, the people who actually live there are, um, right now it's the eighth Earl of Carnarvon. I probably said that wrong. Uh, so that's how much I know uh, about British royalty. But, uh, you may not have noticed if you've watched Downton Abbey or looked up pictures of Downton Abbey, across the doorway, uh, like many places have, there's these words printed there. You can't miss it as you walk in. They probably took it out when we filmed it. But also there's the same phrase that's above every first floor window and in a whole bunch of different places throughout the castle. And these are the words, and I don't know if it's Latin or Old English, but it sounds really cool. Listen to this. Ung, I'm sorry, yeah, ung ye servere. Ung ye servere. Let's all say that. Ung ye servere. One more time for fun. Ung ye servere. That was kind of hard for some of you, but others were having a good time there. Well, what did we just say? That's translated, only one will I serve. Ung ye servere. Only one will I serve. And so I was reading about this, and then historians are asking, well, these earls who live there, who is it that they serve? Who's the one that they serve? What do you guys think? The queen or the king, depending, right? Others said maybe they ultimately serve God. So is it, is it the crown or is it God, right? We don't know. I was reading about it. It said, well, it depends on the heart of the earl. Sometimes they're faithful, more faithful to God. Sometimes they're more faithful to the crown and to their own interests. Thankfully, a couple hundred years ago, we threw off the British crown, right? We didn't want taxation without representation and all that stuff, right? We're free and independent of the crown, right? Sort of. I know some of you are like, no, we're not. Okay. Anyway, that's another topic. Ah, you distracted me, Margie. Yeah, so uh, we don't have the crown as an option to serve, so we're only left with one. If it's either the crown or God, obviously the only one left for us to serve is God. Is that really true? Does Jesus think the only option for us to serve is God? No, in fact, as disciples, he gives us a parable and a warning. Take a look in your, your gospel reading. This is verse 13. At the end of it, Jesus kind of gives us some options, a challenge, and he says these words, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. Ung ye servere. 
You can only pick one. God or money, he says. Well, he's telling this to his disciples, his followers. So why is it that we might be tempted or enticed to serve money? What is it that money gives us? This is a pop quiz. What does money give us? Pay, we can pay the bills, have a sense of security, comfort, all right, creature comforts, all kinds of them in this day and age, lots of creature comforts. Status. My car's better than your car. Actually, mine isn't, but I'm just saying as an example. <laughs> what else does it give us? Gives us things. So it gives us all those things, the pleasures, the, the power, uh, the relief. Think of what money actually is. We trade money for time, right? If we had all the money in the world, we probably wouldn't, we may or may not, but we may not go to work, right? We trade money for time. Money counts for all those things. People who have money often don't worry about, how am I going to pay the bills? They, we worry about, how can I enjoy this, right? And people who don't have money worry about how to get money. So Jesus warns us, and we all know in our hearts, that money can be a God that we serve. So, unye servere. I guess we have two choices. What? Oh, sorry. Okay, go ahead and say, unye servere. Right, and Jesus says, okay, pick one, God or money. And then he tells us this parable, and just so you know, this parable that I read today, um, I almost said, instead of this is the gospel of the Lord, I almost said, this is the challenge of the Lord. You know, it's, it's the gospel, but it's the most confusing parable. So if you leave today after hearing about this parable that Jesus tells us and you're confused, that's okay. Most people read this and are confused. And it's not because the actual words of Jesus are hard. Jesus tells us some things that doesn't compute. He commends a dishonest manager. Does that sound like Jesus? Good job, you dishonest person. Not hard to understand the words, but hard to understand what Jesus is saying here. So let's take a look at it. All right? Open up your gospel reading. It says at the beginning, he also said to the disciples. So Jesus is speaking this to us. But it says, he also said this. This follows right on the heels. This is Luke 16. If you remember Luke 15 from last week, there's three parables. Two of them you talked about, Pastor Nickel. A lost sheep, a lost coin, and then we get to the lost son, the prodigal son, right? The wasteful son. And that's a beautiful story. You didn't read it last week, but that's what Jesus just told everyone, the story of the prodigal son. And then, remember the prodigal son has this rich father, whose son wastes all his stuff. Remember that? And the father doesn't give up on him. This story that we're going to read right now is very similar. There's also a rich landowner who has someone below him who wastes all his stuff. Let's take a look. Jesus also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. All right. Can you set the scene? There's a guy who owns so much land, he can't even go, like, I know some of us might have a rental property here or there. This guy has so many rental properties, he can't even be in charge of them himself. He needs a middleman, All right? So this guy's rich, right? He has people managing his funds for him. And someone comes to him and says, the guy you hired has been cheating you. All right, everyone got that in your head? Got it? Okay. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? 
scary words, right? And that's just it. Silence. Does the man, the manager answer anything? If you're going to get fired and you don't think it's right, do you just take it and leave? You fight. If you are not guilty and you're being fired for no reason, you make an explanation. You make, or maybe an excuse. You do something. This guy doesn't say a word. Why? He's guilty. He has been wasting the master's stuff. Okay? That's where we are. And so, unlike today, where if you're fired from a corporation, they, they just, even on good terms, thank you very much for your service, you're finished, they walk you out of the building, right? Because today, we have people who can go get on their files and change things or grab things that might be of value for another company. That's what happens in today's world, right? You're escorted out. This man, though, is not escorted out. He's fired. But take a look. It says, turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. He's given some time to bring in the books. Bring in your books. And some time goes by. It's not instant. As we keep reading, a day or two has gone by because the manager is going to do something about this. Okay? Before I go on, though, think about this. This guy, he's fired. He's let go. Right? Rightly. What could the master have done? He could have thrown him in prison. Exactly. This guy is guilty of some crime right? Some crime, embezzling or whatever. He's guilty. He should be in jail. He's not. He's just said, go your way. Turn in the books, right? So keep that in mind. That's the response of the master. And now the response of the manager is like, what do I do now? And let's take a look. Verse three, the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. And then it comes to him. He knows how he has been treated so far. He should be in prison, and he's not. I've decided what to do, so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning the master's debtors one by one, so this guy is in charge, and he sends out a message, and to the, probably not just to two like Jesus said, but probably to, to lots of people coming in. Come in! And so this guy has a, a message from the big man that I'm going to address with you. Come and see me. Now the terms of the contracts are already set, but he's like, I got some good news for you. So these guys come in. First one, uh, he has, he says, right, what do you have? I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, he said to the first one, how much do you owe my master? Right? When the harvest comes, you got to pay up. How much? He said, a hundred measures of oil. The manager said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Notice who's writing it down. The debtor, right? Same thing happens again when the next guy comes. How much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat. Take your bill, write down 80. Who writes it down? The debtor. This is important. He probably did this with lots of people. What's the difference? Well, the difference is it's not just the guy himself changing the numbers, the manager. It's the people. They're like, oh, this is good news. We really do have a great landowner because times have been tough. It hasn't been good rain. The seeds aren't so good this year. The workers are horrible. My harvest is not going to be so great. What a great thing that the landowner is doing. Think of it like this. There's a foreman in a, in a company and all the guys on the floor, the foreman talks to the boss 
and gets a Christmas or holiday bonus for everybody, right? Does the money come from the foreman? No, it comes from the owners, right? But everyone's happy because the foreman convinced the owners to give them the bonus, right? So same situation. The money, this discount doesn't come from the manager or from the foreman. It comes from the owner. And so the guy lied, didn't he? Totally lied. Completely lied. And it looks like the master, the landowner, finds out. He has two choices, doesn't he? He can call up everybody and say, you know, that discount, that was a fraud. You got to pay up the 100, not the 80, not the 50, right? Or in the case of the foreman, that, that foreman, that Christmas bonus, that was a lie. We're not going to give you a Christmas bonus, right? Now, the people may not be due a Christmas bonus. The people may not be due a reduction in the, what they owe the master, but they found out they're getting one. What happens if they find out it's a fraud? How are they going to feel? They're going to be mad. That guy we thought was so generous, what a jerk. He's going to make us pay up even though it's been bad rain or whatever, right? So do you see the, the picture? This guy, the master, in some ways has been schnookered. That's a good word. He's been tricked. But now everyone out in the community knows the master is generous. The master takes care of us. And so what does the master do? We don't have the end of the story, but we have this. It says, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Did you catch that? The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. That's Jesus talking there. Is Jesus okay with dishonest economic practices? With cheating people who work for you or who buy from you? Obviously not. That's what we read in Amos that Ken just read. It's like those who have mismatched scales and who try to sell people chaff instead of wheat, try to cheat them. Jesus, God, is not okay with that. So what is Jesus commending the steward for? His dishonesty? For, what does it say? His shrewdness. That doesn't sound like a very good word. That's the same word, though, that other places is translated wisdom. So what was so, good, what was so wise about this man? That he cheated? Was that wise? Not really. But what did he bank everything on? Yeah. He's banking everything on the generosity of the master. Everything. He's got nothing left. The only thing that's going to save him, even though he's in big trouble, is the generosity that he's seen from the master. And I just want to tell you all, you're in this story. Now I'm in this story. You and I are the dishonest managers, the ones who have wasted the master's resources, who have wasted our lives, who have cheated the Lord. Ouch, right? But it's true. We have worshipped other things besides the God who created us. And so we're in the same place as this master. God has every right to say to us, what is this that I hear about you? God has that right. He's righteous. And he could say to us, turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. You're done. He could say, out of here, you're done. But 
just like the dishonest manager here who banked everything on the generosity of the master, that is us. That's you and I, disciples of Jesus. We bank everything on the master's generosity. Right? Remember what uh, Ken just read in, in 1 Timothy? He says, God our Savior desires everyone to be saved. Everyone. And how do we know? He says there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. That's the mercy, that's the generosity of the master who's given everything for you. Good news? All right, take that and run. Now, we could be done, except Jesus says what we said before, unye servere, you can only serve one. And he's talking to disciples. You can't serve God and money. And Jesus talks about the big things to be faithful in and the little things. And I think the big thing is, just like the dishonest manager, bank everything on the mercy of the master. That's the big thing. Trust in this master who's generous to save you. The little thing, you know, he gives you a pile of cash. I think. I think you all got here somehow in some car with some gasoline or electricity. You're all here. God has been taking care of you. All of you have money. Thanks be to God, right? You all have money. I have money. But Jesus says you can't serve God and money. So we have this choice. We can love money and use God. But what we're called to is love God and use money. I was talking to a brother even this morning, and we talked about how money wants to be our God so that we feel secure. But that, will not, that God will not satisfy us. So a way to get that God of money off the throne of your heart as a disciple of Jesus is to look at your pile of cash, all comes from God, and divvy it up, drop a zero, it's 10%, start there, and give it away. Tell that idol of money in your heart, you're not God, get out of here, and let it be a blessing for somebody else. That's a good place to start. Malachi, I believe it's chapter 3, I didn't look at this this morning, but just had a conversation. God challenges his people and says, test me, try me out, bring in the full amount that I've given you to give back. In other words, be generous, trust me, give the tithe, and then there's a promise, and I will pour out from heaven the storehouses of heaven. You let go of money, guess what? I'm going to fill it with so many blessings it won't fit. Amen?